All right, Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. I remember quite a few years ago, we were having a little problem with some squirrels and chipmunks and stuff in our yard. They were doing a little more damage to our property than we wanted. And so I went and borrowed a live trap from a friend and began to catch some squirrels and chipmunks and then take them out down the Deer River line and let them go out there. And I remember one time I'd gotten home from work and Hannah was anxiously awaiting my return because there was a squirrel in the trap. And she wanted to go with to let the squirrel go. And Hannah's been always our pet person. And she was so concerned about this squirrel because while it was waiting for me to get there to go take it loose, it was uh, kind of trying to gnaw at the bars and trying to find a way out. And it was rubbing the hair off its nose through the little grids in the cage. And she was so concerned that that squirrel was going to hurt itself before I got home. So we loaded it in the truck and we jumped in the truck and we went out to the Deer River line. And I don't think I'll forget it as long as I live. We put the squirrel faced away from the truck, in front of the truck, with the door ready to go down, straight down the Deer River line. And most of you have probably been to the Deer River line. It's straight as far as you can see. And I opened the door and outshot that like at a horse at a horse race. And off it went. I hadn't really thought through it, but I just expected that the squirrel would scamper out of there into the brush up a tree and be gone. That thing ran straight away from us as fast as it could go, bouncing up and down until it went out of sight. It was like watching a helium balloon. But it was like a, it was like a cartoon, you know, in a cartoon when something goes running away and it runs all the way till it disappears out of sight. That's what that squirrel did straight down the Deer River line. There's something of that little squirrel in all of us. There's just something in us that has to be free. Right from the time that we are born, we start to pursue that. My little grandkids, they can hardly speak before they're saying, all by myself. You go to help them to do something all by myself. They want to do it by themselves. I don't know why picking up toys never fit in that. They never want to do that all by themselves. But pretty much everything else that's a new achievement for them, riding a bike, putting on their shoes. Well, not always the shoes thing. That's what Malachi <laughs> went to get him out of the truck yesterday. I went on buckling. Nope, all by myself. I don't need help, Grandpa. And so I said, okay. And then Lisa's putting his shoes on. I said, well, why, why can't you do that on your own? Because he can put his shoes on. But he didn't mind her helping put his shoes on. So it's selective. Dan and Liz were just talking about their son, Titus, another one of my grandchildren. And a neighborhood boy comes riding by on a bike with a fishing pole. And he stops and talks to Titus for a few minutes. And Titus establishes the fact that he's going for a bike ride. And he learned and he's established he sees a fishing pole. So he talks to him about that. And then Liz said, you could see the lights turn on in Titus, realizing that's going to be an option someday. I'm going to be able to get on my bike, take a fishing pole, and go fishing by myself. There's, there's just that freedom. You know, we get to the point where a driver's license, freedom, can go where I want. And you know, a lot of times as adults, we look back at children and say, kid, you got it made. What are you fussing about? Because everybody's taking care of you, providing for you things. You get to play most of the time. But you know what? When we're honest about it, that isn't really what we look forward to in life. Even when we look back on it with a little nostalgia, would you really trade for it? No. Because we like to make our own decisions. We like to have our own place. We like to call our own shots. There's something in us that determines to be 
independent, that determines to be free. It's just kind of an, an awesome thing when you think about it. I remember we had a, a guinea pig when uh, it was Daniel's pet when he was a little thing. And that guinea pig, we, we, got, we got it in a nice cage, put sawdust chips in the bottom, got it a wheel to run on, got it a little house to live in, looked like a little igloo kind of a thing, got a water bottle that was self-feeding, so anytime it bumped it with its nose, it got water, food, had everything. Well, I don't remember, it, it got up and it gnawed off, it was a plastic lid, and it gnawed off the latch on the lid. And then, you know, that thing would grab the spinning wheel, equally proportioned, so he could get himself up on top of the center of the spinning wheel, and then nudge that lid with his nose until it was out of the way, and it would get out. All of that to go fend for itself underneath the kitchen stove. He always hid in the same place. He wasn't hard to find. Dan had this big, heavy doll called Big Frank. It was like a Frankenstein thing. And so Frank was the new gatekeeper for the guinea pig. As long as Frank was sitting on top of the gate, he was too heavy for the guinea pig to move with its nose. But the hind end of Frank got all chewed up because he wouldn't stop, he wouldn't stop trying. That guinea pig, if he was awake, he was escaping. That's just, he just determined to be free. And you think you're a guinea pig. What, what, what more do you want? It wanted to be free. That's the way we are. We're, we're determined to be independent. And thankfully, I'm thankful to be born in a nation where our forefathers saw that. Our forefathers experienced that, that desire to be free. And they knew it was actually in their kids, even their grandkids, that would actually get to experience the freedom that they wanted to have for us. And I'm very thankful to be born in a nation where we have that kind of freedom. And the freedom that we got, our founding fathers were very clear that it just mirrored the freedom that we have in Christ. It's not just our founding fathers that wanted us to be free. It's God that wants us to be free. That's why Christ set us free. He set us free to be free so that we would be free in Him. Well, as we think of uh, freedom in the Bible, we recognize that God's desire for us is to be free. As we think of freedom, in Psalm 119, verse 45, it says, I walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. So he recognized that the foundation of his freedom was found within the Word of God. By, by walking in the precepts of God, in the teachings of God, he found freedom in his life. James chapter 1 in the New Testament also tells us a similar thing. It says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Notice how it refers to the Bible in that passage. It is the perfect law that produces freedom. There are other places in the New Testament as well. Second Corinthians chapter 3 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we see God expresses His desire for us to have freedom. In fact, in a Messianic passage in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 32, says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so God's desire for us is to be free. Now, this freedom moves beyond an external freedom to an internal one, which is really what he's referring to in, in the book of Galatians. In fact, in some places in the New Testament, it will find where he even addresses slaves. And he says, look, your outer bondage of your slavery is not really the most important thing. It's your inner freedom. You can be somebody's slave and be God's or Christ's free man. It's that internal freedom that is of most importance. But both of them are important. You know, our founding fathers 
also recognize this principle of freedom contained within the Word of God. Noel Webster put it this way. He says, The religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and His apostles, which enjoins humility, piety, and benevolence, which acknowledges in every person a brother or a sister and a citizen of equal rights. This is the genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitution of government. Where do we get our concept of freedom as they're putting our nation together? Where do we get this concept that everybody should be free. The Word of God. We see it right in our Declaration of Independence as we write a, a, a letter over to Great Britain to declare our independence from them. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It starts with a foundation. The foundation is God. Because God is our Creator, then we as His creation have certain inalienable rights. In other words, not rights given to us by any government. They need to be recognized by the government. But these rights are given to us by God. These we just have just because of who we are. Just because we're people. Creation of God. And that among these rights are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so our freedom is founded squarely upon the principles of God's Word. Now as we consider this idea of freedom, notice a couple things from the passage. And the first thing that we recognize from the passage is that freedom must be maintained. Freedom must be maintained. You see, in the Galatian church, freedom was getting compromised. Freedom was getting pressured out. Now, it's dealing with a pressure from dealing with the law. And we'll get into the particulars on that a little bit more. But basically what had happened is the Galatian people had accepted Christ as their Savior. They put their faith and trust in Him. So they were delivered from their sins. They were saved. They now had eternal life. But then some false teachers came in amongst them and said, well, it's not just about believing in Jesus Christ. It's also about religious ritual. And the ritual in particular that they were talking about was circumcision. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant relationship that God established with Abraham with the nation of Israel. And so what they're doing is they're coming in saying, well, it's okay for you to become a Christian, but you also have to become Jewish. You have to be, you have to be circumcised. You have to go through this religious rituals to get you to God. Jesus Christ without the religious rituals won't get you there. You gotta have them both. And that's wrong. We're brought to liberty in Christ, freedom in Christ, not to more bondage to religious rituals. Not that we don't have some rituals, but they're not, they're not what saves us. They're not, we're not in bondage to those things. When we do the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do very soon at the end of this service here, the Lord's Supper is not a requirement for salvation. It's not a ritual that we go to to accomplish our salvation. This actually is a feast that celebrates the freedom that we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the false teachers were twisting it around for the Galatians. And what's his, what is his response here? In verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Notice his command there. Stand firm. Do not submit. Do not give in. You see, freedom has to be maintained. If you don't hang on to it, if you don't cling to it, if you don't stand firm in it, you'll lose it. Because there are people that like us in bondage. There are people that for their own reasons, for their own exploits, for their own purposes, need us in bondage. 
to them in some way. If you think back, we left Britain for freedom. Freedom of religion, being at the top of the pinnacle there. But you know what? Even when you look back at that, Britain itself was fairly free. In fact, when you think back to Britain's history, they're a little bit ahead of us at getting rid of slavery. But you know what? Their freedoms have eroded. Your speech has been curtailed in Britain now. You know what I heard on the news this week? Part of their leadership is calling for the mandatory blunting of knives. You're not going to be able to have a sharp knife in Britain. Why? Well, because there's a lot of stabbings. There's a lot of knifings. And they've already taken the guns away, which is why there's now a lot of stabbings. And so the next thing is the knives. I suppose after that, knitting needles or something. I don't know. You see, the point is, those are just tools. It's the human heart that brings murder, that brings death. That's where you got to curb the problem. What are we dealing with in our country right now? We're, they're arguing all the time about whether or not to take guns away. When they take guns away, then, well, what's next? Knives, just like Britain's going through. There's always pressure and there's always angles to take people's freedoms away. Now they're talking about, in our, in our nation, curbing language in dealing with the homosexuality and the homosexual movement. California is trying to put forth through bills out there right now that if you're a counselor and somebody comes to you struggling with homosexuality, you cannot counsel them to come out of it. They want to put out a law that would make it so that you cannot have literature that disagrees with the homosexual lifestyle. And if you put out literature that disagrees with homosexuality or you try to counsel people to come out to, as the Bible says, repent of your sin and come out from it, that if you counsel people to do that, that you'll be in a violation of a hate crime. You know, so we see some of that, those kind of things in our nation and we see that, you know, we had, we started out with all these freedoms. Why? Christian bedrock, Christian foundation. As we get farther from our Christian foundation, what do we see? We see the freedom starting to get challenged, starting to fall. Well, that's not how our forefathers intended it, but our forefathers did know that would be the ongoing threat. Daniel Webster said this, God grants liberty only to those who love it and are always ready to guard and defend it. Benjamin Franklin said, They that can give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. John Adams said, But a constitution of government once changed from freedom can never be restored. Liberty once lost is lost Forever, He recognized that the liberty that they were fighting to gain, the liberty that the bloodshed of our patriots had secured for our American country, he recognized that if we get in, give in and we get soft and we're willing to trade liberty for safety, that we will lose our liberty. And they were concerned because they've, they'd watched the nations around them. They'd, well, they'd studied history and they said, it's easy to lose liberty. It's very hard to gain it back. In fact, they knew just how hard it was to gain it because they had been involved in the fight. You know, George Washington said this. He said, arbitrary power is most easily established on the ruins of liberty abused to licentiousness. So we're considering this morning, we're considering freedom. We're noticing that in the very beginning of chapter 5 in Galatians, it says that we need to maintain our freedom. We need to stand firm in our freedom. In Christ, you are free. In Christ you have salvation, you've been delivered from the bondage of sin in your life, and the way that we maintain that freedom is to just live out that righteousness of Christ, to relate to Christ through His Word and through prayer, to fulfill His righteousness in our life as we live in Him. But second, not only must freedom be maintained, but freedom must be disciplined. It must be disciplined, because as that quote from George Washington said, the quickest way to lose freedom is through licentiousness. Now what is he saying? Well, he's saying exactly what it says in chapter 5 and verse 13. 
Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He recognizes that with that freedom, there's a temptation toward misunderstanding what it is. It's the same thing back in Romans chapter 6. He says, Romans chapter 5 was just talking about how we are saved by the grace of God. Wherever sin abounded, grace superabounded. In other words, you can't outsin the grace of God. But then in chapter 6, he recognizes some people are going to have a struggle with that. He says, some of you are going to say, well, if that's the case, then we might as well just go on living in sin because grace will abound it. In fact, the more sin, the more grace. And so maybe we should just continue in sin so that grace may abound. And he says, God forbid. Absolutely not. Why? Because we are dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, that's the same thing that's happening right here in the book of Galatians. He's just been telling them, look, you're free. You don't have to have the religious ritual. You're free in Christ. It's through Christ and what he did for you on that cross that you're free in him. And then in verse 13, he says, but be careful. Don't use your freedom to go into licentiousness. In other words, don't use your freedom to say, look, now I'm free to sin. We are never free to sin. Sin is no freedom. Sin is bondage. Many passages throughout the New Testament point out, and many passages throughout the Old Testament illustrate the fact that when we give ourselves into passions and sins in our lives, it brings us into bondage. It brings us into its control. And it does not have our best in mind. So sin is not freedom. Sin is bondage. You see, in the Bible, in its concept of freedom, we're not free to sin. We're free from sin. And that's exactly what he's saying right here. He's saying, look, you're free, so don't look, but don't look at it like I'm free to go do whatever I want. I'm free to go sin. I'm free to go indulge in these passions. No. You're free for the true freedom that is in Christ. That's where we find our freedom. And that's what he says. Don't. Don't go there. You know, our founding fathers recognized the same thing. George Washington, in that quote we just read, he said, you know what, the quickest way to get rid of liberty is to use your liberty to get into licentiousness. Just to go follow any passion, any sinfulness that you want to. He says that's the a, that's a fastest way to lose your liberty. First Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. That's interesting. We're free. Live as servants. That's really the paradox of Christianity. That's where we find our freedom. Jesus taught that we find life by dying. We find wealth by giving. He says, look, you're free in Christ, but don't misuse your freedom. Instead, be servants of God. Patrick Henry put it this way, bad men cannot make good citizens. It is impossible that a nation of infidels or idolaters should be a nation of free men. It is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Daniel Webster says, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. James Madison said, we have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. You see, the point that they're all making is in order for us to be free, We have to be able to self-regulate. We have to be able to self-control. You saw that with your kids, right? When when your kids are growing up, when do you give them freedoms? When do you give them the freedom to cross the street? Is it not when they can cross the street on their own responsibly, safely? It's the same with a car. We go spend hours risking our lives with a kid behind the wheel in our car. 
to teach them how to drive. Why? So that when they get to a point where they can now do it responsibly, safely, you can hand them the keys. I remember having discussions with my kids as they were growing up. Why do we always have to go to bed so early? Why do we have to have a bedtime? And I remember telling them, you have to have a bedtime because if I don't give you a bedtime, you'll stay up all night long and you won't be able to function at school tomorrow. When you are smart enough to tell yourself what time to go to bed so that you can function at school tomorrow, no more bedtime. You know, for some of them, that was all the motivation it took. You mean if I tell myself to do it, you won't tell me to do it? Absolutely. And that's what got rid of the bedtime in our house. In order to have liberty, you have to be able to control yourself. Because people don't control themselves, we have laws. When they step outside, if you don't control yourself, we're going to control you. And the laws are a good thing. Otherwise, society gets very dangerous. Because people that, you get enough people together that don't control themselves, and you've got a real mess. And that's what he's saying here. Don't use your freedom to go out and follow sin, to follow passions. Freedom must be disciplined. You have to be able to tell yourself. If you're not going to have a government governing you, you've got to govern yourself. And that's what our founding fathers were looking at. Remember, they're getting rid of a king. No king. We're going to govern, our, govern ourselves as a group. In order to do that, we've got to be able to, to do just that. We've got to be able to govern ourselves. Also, John Adams said this. He says, We have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled with morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What provides that ability to exercise self-control, to do the right thing, even when you don't want to, or to avoid from doing the wrong thing when you really want to? couple of things. We've got to have morality. We've got to have religion is going to be the foundation for morality and morality, the foundation for our self-government. He says if we don't have those things, then people with unbridled passions can, there's no way we'll be able to control it. Samuel Adams said that a general disillusion of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued, but when once they lose their virtue, they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. If virtue and knowledge are diffused among the people, they will never be enslaved. This will be their great security. He says if we have virtue, we will be free. If we lose that virtue, we will be enslaved. That's why the song that we just sang earlier, America. I love that, in fact, one line sticks out to me more than the others. Confirm thy soul in self-control and thy liberty in law. It's recognizing that we as a nation have a soul. We as a, as a nation have liberty that has been established for us. It has to be maintained through self-control, through law, through discipline. We have to be able to manage ourselves. Now, there's two ways that he gives us as measuring sticks that we can do it by. Remember, they wanted to measure themselves by things like circumcision, by keeping the law. He says, i got something better for you. Measure yourself by this. As we look farther down into the passage, it says in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So the first way that he gives us to discipline our freedom is that principle of walking in love. We're supposed to walk in love. He says that's the foundation of the entire law. The law is built on that principle. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving somebody, you're not going to kill them. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie to them. You're not going to violate these commands in these different ways. He brings us back to the freedom of love. We see that echoed also in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. It says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, he tells us as we live out our freedom in Christ, we need to consider not only how our actions impact us, but how our actions impact those around us as well. That's operating out of love. Shall I do this thing? Well, how is it going to impact me? How is it going to impact the people around me? Is it going to impact them in a negative way? In this passage in Corinthians, he was looking at people that were going to do something which would actually be okay for them to do, but in doing it, it would actually harm some of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, well, then why don't you skip it? Even though you might want to do it, if it's going to bring them harm, is it really worth it? Wouldn't it be more loving if you skip that? And you know what? That's what we need to do. We need to think about how our actions impact other people. Yeah, this might be something I want to do right now, but and it might even be something that's okay for me to do. But if I do this, how does this impact the other people around me? What would be more loving for them for me to do? Our founding fathers said the same thing, even within our politics. Our first president, George Washington, Washington said, it should be the highest ambition of every American to extend his views beyond himself and to bear in mind that his conduct will not only affect himself, his country, and his immediate posterity, but that its influence may be coextensive with the world and stamp political happiness or misery on ages yet unborn. But I'm kind of glad that I had a forefather and our first president that said, you know what, I'm not only concerned about me, I'm concerned about all the generations that are going to come after me that the things that I'm doing and the decision that I'm making is going to impact. You know, isn't this what you do as a, as a parent? When you make decisions in your home, you think, how is this going to impact my children? And as time goes on, you even start to think, how is this going to impact my children? How is this going to impact my children's children? You know, I remember even when my kids were growing up, thinking if, and I was trying to have solid things in their lives. And I can remember thinking sometimes you didn't feel like doing them. And there were times when I thought, you know what, if I don't continue to do this, if I don't continue to instill this in my child's life, who's going to instill it in my grandchild's life? Because if I can't put it in theirs, it won't be in theirs to put into their grandchildren. And what's going to happen with my grandchildren? That's love. When we start thinking not about just how things affect us, but how they affect the world around us and the world yet to come. Well, lastly, he tells us that the other way to carry out this discipline is to walk not only in love, but walk in the Spirit. And he spends the rest of the passage, we don't have time to get into it too deeply here, but he spends the rest of the passage talking about what life in the Spirit is like. And then he tells us to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, do what the Spirit's doing. Move where the Spirit's moving. And then he gives us a list to be able to know what, where the Spirit's moving. He says, look, these are the deeds of the flesh. And he lists all these sins and, that would be involved in our flesh. So if you're doing those... You're not in step with the Spirit. You're not going where the Spirit's leading here. But love, joy, faithfulness, goodness, kindness. He starts listing the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 through 24. He says when you move those directions, he says then you're keeping in step with the Spirit. We have freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In order to have that freedom, 
We must maintain that freedom. We've got to stand firm in it. Freedom has to be maintained. We've got to hold on to the freedom we have in Christ. We can't let these other competing ideas about how we earn our righteousness before God, how we need to become subject to the law, keeping these lists of rules as, as our way of earning righteousness before God. We can't allow that bondage to creep into the gospel. It becomes a completely different gospel. We need to do the same thing as a nation. We need to stand firm in our freedoms. Fight for the liberties that we had. Our liberties came through fighting. They're only going to be maintained through fighting. And I don't mean always bloodshed. There was a lot of bloodshed. I think the Revolutionary War had over 77,000 lives lost in it. To set people free from slavery, our Civil War had over 620,000 lives lost in it to bring freedom. It's only through the blood of Christ that we have freedom. Not necessarily meaning that all the kinds of fighting that we get in are also going to consider bloodshed, though. Sometimes it's just a matter of standing up, being heard, being counted. Not only is liberty maintained, it's got to be disciplined. If we don't control ourselves, then we're in need of control by somebody else. So in order to do that, we need to walk in love toward other people, and we need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. If we do those things, then our liberty will be maintained. Our freedom will be disciplined and useful, not only for us, but for those around us.